everyone, my name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong and welcome to this episode of Lifestyle Matters. And once again, we have the good Dr. Savina with us. Hello, Savina, how are you? Good, thanks, Fergal, and yourself? I'm very well. So I thought today we'd talk about intermittent fasting. So can you tell us what that means? Okay, so intermittent fasting is um, not uncommon to the whole world about what it really is. It essentially comes down to as putting our body in a fasting state um, for prolonged periods of time. Um, normally when we eat, we don't allow ourselves for pro- periods of fasting for even up to 10 to 12 hours, some, or more than 10 to 12 hours. There are different types of intermittent fasting. Um, there is the most common one that most people do called the 16-8 diet, which you fast for 16 hours and you eat for eight hours. Some prolong that and do 20 hours and four hours of eating. Um, and then there's also the 5-2 diet where you restrict your calorie intake for two on those two days to 500 calories. And then on the other five days, you eat as normally as you would. Then there's also the 24-hour fasting, which people do once or twice a week. And there's also the alternate day fasting where one day you're eating a normal diet and the next day you're restricting um, your calorie intake to 500 calories. Now, I guess before we go into what intermittent fasting is, can you take us through the physiological um, functions and what happens when we are in a fed and a fasting state, Fergal? Yeah, so it's important to understand that that we, we cycle between two diametrically opposed states, the fed feasting state and the fasting state, so fasting and feasting. So when we eat, we obviously go into feasting mode. And the key hormone there is insulin. And basically, insulin brings in the harvest, right? So we we get absorption of our fats, proteins, carbohydrates, uh, and they're broken down into very small molecules like glucose and amino acids and uh, lipids. And insulin stimulates the production of storage of storage molecules for these small molecules. So we have the storage of glucose in the liver in the form of glycogen, and we have the storage of fat in the form of fat uh, um, lipids in fat tissues. And we also have the laying down of amino acids into muscle. So it's, it's bringing in the harvest. Now, when we stop eating, the levels of our insulin decrease. And then we change into fasting mode. And the the two main hormones in fasting are growth hormone and glucagon. And these hormones then release the food from the the harvest stores back into the body. So they, they stimulate the release of sugar, of glucose, from glycogen in the liver and in muscles. And they stimulate the release of fatty acids from fat stores. Now, there's a limited supply of sugar in the liver. There's a limited supply of glycogen. And that glycogen will last us maybe about, I don't know, 12 hours, 12 to 16 hours. But after that, then we become dependent on the metabolism of fatty acids. And this is called beta oxidation. And beta oxidation ultimately produces ketone bodies. And these are very good energy substrates. So we can see how... In the fed state, insulin brings in the harvest and makes us store food and makes us store energy. And we can see how in the starved state, uh, glucagon and growth hormone release the energy stores from the harvest back into the body. Now, if you're trying to lose weight, 
and you've got a lot of insulin around, you're not going to lose weight because the, the function of insulin is basically to put the weight in, to, to bring the harvest in. So actually to lose weight, you need to actually go into starvation mode. You need to, to lose fat mass. You need to go into starvation mode. And then your growth hormone on glucagon uh, will then stimulate the release of these uh, energy substrates. So that's, the, that's what happens in the fed and the fasting state. And those are the, the broad brushstrokes of the hormonal regulation. But there's a lot more subtlety to it than that, isn't there? There are other hormones that come into play in intermittent fasting. Could you take us through that, uh, Savina? Yeah. So I guess before we go into that, like, so essentially what we're saying is that when we're in the fasting state of an intermittent diet, intermittent fasting diet, we're sort of doing a, we're sort of producing a state of ketosis, just like what we did with the, with the keto diet, except here we're not consuming high levels of meat intake um, or protein intake, essentially. Um, and that was one point that I found quite interesting. So the theory is quite similar. It's just that you're doing it a different way. Um, so when it comes down to other hormones that um, intermittent fasting helps with, um, would be it helps lower your leptin levels. And if we remember, that's one of our satiety um, levels. And what that is doing in here, they also found leptin levels have actually an inflammatory effect. It um, increases our CRP, which is an, which is an inflammatory um, marker in our body. And they found that these levels, the leptin levels and CRP levels, were actually quite high in people who are obese and in diabetic people. Um, and there was also theories whether if this is actually producing a state of leptin resistance in the obese people. What they found is if we consume, if we stick to an intermittent fasting diet, these leptin levels can actually reduce um, and that lowers your CRP levels and it, it reduces the risk of leptin resistance. The mm. other hormone that they found that could also be changed with this diet is actually um, something called adiponectin. These levels were increased when in someone who um, does an intermittent fasting diet, once again, um, and when your adiponectin levels are high, um, your liver production of sugars are reduced, your um, fatty acid oxidization from your uh, muscles um, your, and from your liver was, is also increased, um, and it also has um, an anti-inflammatory property to it too um, through other various mechanisms mm. so what they found once again um, people who had especially central obesity fed around their organs um, had very much lower adiponectin levels and if some one of if they actually did an intermittent fasting diet these adiponectin levels were increased and visceral fats were lower so you find lots of people who do this diet can actually look, um, reduce body fat, um, especially around the abdomen, um, and which is quite remarkable, given mm. that it is one of our number one risk factors for heart disease. So really what I'm hearing is that obesity is, a, is, is the prototypical chronic, meta, uh, chronic inflammatory condition. It's the meta-inflammatory uh, condition that, cr that creates and perpetuates low levels of inflammation. And intermittent fasting can help reduce that inflammation by reducing the obesity, reducing the leptin levels, reducing leptin resistance, and actually increasing adiponectin levels. And interestingly, also, we know that adiponectin levels are actually associated with HDL, so you know, which is the good cholesterol. That's another, another wee uh, tidbit there. So 
there's there's a significant interaction between um, the the control of appetite, the control of weight, and the risk of obesity causing downstream diseases. Now, can you talk to us about how we the, about the benefits of intermittent fasting in terms of disease profile modification? So I'll take off from where you stopped, stopped just now then at HDL levels. So heart disease, um, mm. they found that, you know, intermittent fasting, once again, it improves your HDL levels. So increases the HDL levels. It reduces your bad cholesterol, the LDL levels. They've also found that blood pressure, resting heart rate can also uh, lower, uh, which is what we want um, mm. in people who stuck to an intermittent fasting diet. Um, and once again, the state of inflammation and oxidation stress uh, in our body was also lower with someone who does intermittent fasting, which is all beneficial for heart disease. Um, and then if we go on to, for example, um, brain health, um, there are a couple of other things, other hormones that are into play here. I guess, um, firstly, they found that intermittent fasting actually enhances our GABA um, activity. And that can reduce our risk of having seizures, amongst many other uh, benefits of having enhanced GABA activity. Um, it also regulates, um, actually expresses, allows the expression of one of an important gene called the brain-derived um, neurotrophic factor. Um, and also um, um, growth hormones and fibroblasts, um, which are important in our brain health, essentially, to reduce the risk of um, dementia and things further down the track, neurodegenerative diseases, I guess, uh, to put it very broadly. Lots of trials have been actually um, going on about um, looking at brain health in intermittent fasting. And they've found that actually people are actually, and, and especially lots of it have been mostly in mice, but there have been small cohorts of studies in, in humans where they've actually demonstrated that there has been improvements in the balance, coordination, verbal memory, um, and obviously, these are short, so small sample sizes, short-term studies, but it's really fascinating to see that doing a diet like this can actually help reduce the risk of neurodegenerative disease, especially when we don't have actually much treatment, for example, Alzheimer's disease. So it's quite good to see so how things are. really what you're saying is that it um, increases the, or it improves the cardiovascular status of, our, of patients and improves the or reduces the risk of neurodegenerative changes simply by effectively producing ketones, isn't it? It goes back to ketones and also perhaps, also in terms of the risks of cardiovascular disease, it goes back to the reduction in body central obesity and also inflammation. Yep. And I guess it also comes down to also cancers. Um, there's also mm -hmm. another effect on cancers. Um, and that's something they don't actually understand why or how exactly it works. Um, mm. Various ways. One of it, you know, if they're, you're less, if you're not obese, you have a reduced risk of developing cancers, for example. Um, mm. And so, but there's been quite good um, evidence to show that with glioblastoma multiformis, a GBM, it's a kind of brain tumor, um, intermittent fasting can actually help suppress its growth. Um, and mm. it's one of those deadly tumors. So that's quite amazing how it can vary from you know diabetes to heart disease to you know mental uh, dementia to cancers so and this, this is all mediated by um, ketone bodies isn't it ketones yeah 
yeah. pretty much. So, so I didn't mention it the last time, which I wanted to talk about. I wanted to just say, like, you know, they call ketone ketones the super fuel. Um, yeah. because it produces a lot of ATP molecules compared to when you use yeah. glucose um, to produce yeah. ATP molecules. So, you know what? It more ATP I don't glucose. know. Yeah, yeah it does. Gram gram, and yeah. there are lots of other benefits from it. So really, if, we, if we're looking at the intermittent fasting diet, for a lot of our viewers, they're going to be interested in the weight loss properties. So, you know, does it actually cause weight loss? I mean, can you actually eat your normal food amount in, you know, eight to 12 hours in the day and still lose weight? I think it comes down to, remember we talked about what's sustainable um, as a diet. Intermittent fasting is one of the most sustainable diets as opposed to, um, you know, doing a um, keto diet or a low carb diet. Um, it's a lot easier to do where you're sort of sticking to your usual range of foods um, and by just restricting to the time. So yes, it does promote weight loss. It is equal to any other calorie-restricted diet. Um, but I guess then it comes down to if you actually, if you find that it is a diet that works for you, suits your lifestyle, it will definitely produce weight loss. It also comes down to you, you can't just do it with diet. Obviously, diet's 80% of it. You've got to also do it with exercise because once again, these diets, they've actually found that those ketone bodies and things, the, the, the weight loss, the diabetes, the insulin resistance, improving all that was augmented with exercise combined with it so yeah. it kind of goes hand in hand um, and it's also what you're going to be compliant and sustain what you're going to find sustainable with your life yeah really. now are there yeah. any downsides to the intermittent fasting diet you know what 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 are the side effects yeah so i guess it's just like with any diet honestly um when you start doing if you're used to snacking throughout the day and not having prolonged times of fasting um, it can produce some changes in your body where you might have trouble sleeping. You might feel a bit tired. You might feel a bit dizzy while your body's just trying to get that, you know, mm. natural uh, uh, reaching a homeostatic state in your body. Um, some people might get quite irritable, but in the end, it all settles. If you stick to it, your body adapts, your body adapts to things. Yeah. Um, and obviously there, there are certain limitations. Not everyone can do this. People who are pregnant shouldn't mm. be um, pregnant or breastfeeding because obviously you're there's other requirements that are ongoing. So they're not to be doing an intermittent fasting. Um, anyone with an eating disorder shouldn't be doing it either. Um, what about type 1 diabetes? Yeah, type 1 diabetes, I'd be talking to your doctor first before yeah. you actually yeah. go and do this for sure. It, it requires a certain Even type 2, I'd say talk to your doctor. Yeah, so any, any yeah. diabetic, yeah. we would recommend that you actually have a chat with your doctor first. And also, I think I need to make the point, I had a patient that I recommended intermittent fasting for. Um, and he, he came back to me and said, yeah, it's working great. So I'm eating my, I'm eating my breakfast, the first meal of the day at like 9 o'clock in the morning, and I'm waiting 12 hours to eat my dinner, and then I'm waiting another 12 hours to eat the next meal. I think it's important to emphasize that once you start eating, you've already kicked in the insulin. So therefore, there's no point in fasting again until you're prepared to do another 12, at least a 12-hour fast, because it takes about 12 hours for the levels of insulin to go down so that you can then kick in with the other hormones, which then can produce the ketone bodies ultimately. Um, and I'd like to chip in with that, though. You know, some people say a dash of milk with a coffee in the morning. That's, you know, and then that's still part of the fasting period, well, which it no, isn't it's because. Not. No. Yeah. yeah. Fasting yeah. means fasting. And so it's black tea, black coffee until you until you actually break your fast, which could be any time from 
nine o'clock through till midday. The other type of people that I, I actually, I mean, I, I think we, we'll be talking about diseases uh, in, in later episodes, but just in this particular context, I actually recommend intermittent fasting uh, and exercise for patients suffering from polycystic ovarian syndrome because they've got a genetically predetermined elevation in, uh, in insulin resistance which means they've always got insulin floating around their system, which means that they find it very difficult to lose weight. So intermittent fasting up to 16 hours a day gives the body or their body enough time to actually lose their insulin to then allow the other hormones room to play to then start encouraging lipolysis, which means losing fat mass, which then means beta oxidation, which then means uh, you know, production of those ketones for all those other benefits and also losing weight. So I recommend intermittent yeah. fasting for PCOS with increased levels of activity, as you've already mentioned. Yeah. And I guess one more point I just wanted to make, Fergal, about a practical point, um, more about the intermittent fasting. Um, and this is something that they're sort of still trying to figure out if there is actually true value in this, is that, you know, most people sort of break their fast at 11 or 12 o'clock and eat till about 7 or 8 o'clock, you know, whatever mm -hmm. their time period is. But there's been actually some studies that are actually looking at, is it better if we break our fast a bit earlier and finish up eating earlier? So finishing up at 3 or 4 yeah. o'clock in the afternoon. Um, and so you're having a longer fasting period before you actually go to bed. So you're actually using more yeah. energy up and things. Yeah. That whole diurnal circadian rhythm variation. Yeah. But, you know. So the argument is, do you point, miss breakfast or do you miss dinner? Yep, yep. Yeah. What now, you prefer, essentially. Now, I cannot sleep if I'm hungry, so I could never miss dinner, but I can I could fast throughout the day. You know, so I, there's yeah. no way I'm ever missing dinner. <laughs> yeah, and I, that's the thing, right? Whatever diet you choose in the end it has to come down to what's sustainable, what works for your lifestyle yeah. essentially. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Savina. Well thanks very much for your pearls of wisdom as usual, and I look forward to chatting with you again very shortly. Thanks, Fergal. See you next time. That's all for today's episode. My name's Dr. Fergal Armstrong. We'll see you soon.